Welcome back, everyone, to the Spoonful of Sugar podcast, which is brought to you in partnership with Farmerica. Today's episode is More MDS Coordinators Are Walking the Floor. Is that a costly mistake? I'm John O'Connor from McKnight's, and I'll be co-hosting with T.J. Griffin, RPH, who is the Senior Vice President of Long-Term Care Operations and Chief Pharmacy Officer for Farmerica. In each podcast, we try to address important matters facing the industry today, but we also like to add a spoonful of sugar, which, as Mary Poppins famously said, can help the medicine go down. With us today is an industry veteran who many of our listeners will instantly recognize. Leah Kluge is the Executive Director of the Alliance Training Center, which is based in Alliance, Ohio. Leah will be joining us in a moment for what promises to be a robust discussion. Hi, TJ. I hope you had fun at the Nadana Convention. Have you recovered from the Big Easy yet? Well, you know, you can't get beignets anywhere but New Orleans, so I ate my share. But uh, the big question is, I know you were in the islands with your son getting married. I hope everything mm -hmm. turned out all right and you had a nice time down in the Caribbean. So we miss you in New Orleans. But I had one for you, believe me. <laughs> Thanks. I, I appreciate it. Thank you so much. We have a lot of ground to cover, TJ, and I think we might as well just get started. Let's do it. Sounds good. You're joining us today, Leah Kluge. Tell us a little bit about your background for the five people in the industry who don't know who you are and how you got here. <laughs> <laughs> well, hello, everyone. And I know the majority of people on the call are my friends. But for those of you that don't know me, I specialize in common sense operational advice and work with the MDS coordinators around the country with operations and clinical managers. And of course, with my good friends at Farmerica as they support good documentation and operations. Um, I've been around a few years and love to share not only my opinions, but some of my successful interventions. Wonderful. I, th I think you're starting to get the hang of it, Leah. <laughs> so uh, let's let's get started, folks. So MDMs coordinators are usually responsible for two core duties, monitoring care quality and maximizing payments. But as staffing challenges worsen and regulations increase, more MDS coordinators are taking on a third responsibility, walking the floor. That raises some inter interesting questions, such as, is this a reasonable job extension? or an unfair demand. Moreover, might facilities that adopt this practice be leaving money on the table? Leah, what's your response to that? Well, you've really summed it up. I love your journalistic capabilities of just hitting the nail right on the head. We have a tremendous amount of not only frustration, but fatigue that we're dealing with just in general with the staffing crisis that we're dealing with, because it's not just direct caregivers or support staff. It is that our, the number of nurses that are available to do the essential work in the building of caregiving and of data collection is minimal in some situations. And it's given us a very difficult position and problem-solving position that we have to handle. Now, Leah, I know you do a ton of training so what are some of the changes that you've noticed as well, both good and bad? Well, the changes are complicated because 
we we have a very strong regulatory requirement not only to provide quality of care and to have the nurses involved with these higher acuity care platforms but we have a lot more regulation and policy that we have to deal with involving data formulation and the formulation of the MDS into a data set that has a tremendous fiscal and clinical influence. So these are serious issues, none of which we can minimize. Well, Leah, we keep hearing about MDS coordinators walking the floor in the facilities. And I'm just curious, you know, it came up so many times during uh, Nadana last week uh, or a couple weeks ago. What's really driving this shift and what, what are some of the good and bad results of, of this happening? Well, you asked me the good results of that happening, and I really have to work hard to find documented, candid, appropriate, good results of this. But the reality is, TJ, and you and I know the reality is we have to provide care. And we provide care 24 hours a day, seven days a week. A lot of other healthcare providers, the census goes down over the weekend, or they just choose not to provide services. So we are stuck in this model where the nursing shortage is a crisis. So the directors of nursing and clinical operations people have almost an unsolvable problem. And then they have nurses, licensed nurses, RNs and LPNs, who are working on the in the MDS office and working with data collection and the fiscal responsibilities of transmission and all those other things. And so it's very logical in some operational views to ask those nurses to put in some extra time and work on the floor. That's very logical. But it presents us with a couple of problems that are very difficult for the actual nurses to accomplish. And that's where we run into some of the barriers. Mm-hmm. Very good. So, Leah, uh, we certainly know that the financial pressures in this field are very real, but is this practice perhaps a case of operators being penny-wise and dollar-foolish? That's a very easy statement to make, but when you're sitting as an operational head and you don't have coverage for the 3 to 11 shift on Sunday afternoon, you have a situation that is – If you're not a nurse as an administrator, you have to find, we have to have nurses there. So that's a very big stone wall that doesn't move very easily. You have to take it all apart and put it back together. So the issue we have is that, first of all, we have to have open communication. And a lot of times the message gets lost through the various levels of communication, various levels of management in the building. So an operator may say, well, we're going to just expect that our MDS nurses will work a shift every weekend. Okay. And remember, when staffing is short and people aren't maybe able to show up for work, a shift becomes a shift and a half. One of the other issues we have with the staffing shortage is that shift work is extended because the person who is supposed to come in may not be available or may have an emergency or something may happen and we don't have backups. But the other problem is that when we talk about being penny wise and pound foolish, when we're utilizing our MDS staff that way, it's very stressful for a nurse who has not worked on the unit for a long time to all of a sudden be very 
uh, efficient and up to date. And nurses want to be efficient and up to date. And they have critical job responsibilities involving safety, medication management. We're talking about managing the team. We're talking about delivering services and documentation. And so that gets very, very complicated when you take a nurse who's been doing data collection and IT work and reimbursement communication and quality measures and all the other statistical information. And all of a sudden, you know, they have to, so we have to have good policies and procedures. And um, so, John, it's, it's complicated because of the nature of the work. And it isn't that MDS's nurses don't want to help or fill in. And we have the staff nurses who are also somewhat overwhelmed because they're working extra shifts. They're tired. You know, fatigue is a big issue here. And I believe that stress is another. You know, I, I'm an MDS nurse. I can work the 3 to 11 shift on Sunday night. I'm more than happy to do it. But Monday morning, early, I'm an MDS nurse. And we had three or four or five admissions on Friday. And so the the ability for people to transfer these roles is not always, um, they're not always proficient at doing that. They're not used to doing that. Well, yeah, I think what you've hit the nail on the head here is a good MDS nurse is worth their weight in gold for a facility. And what are the three or four qualities of efficient and wonderful MDS coordination that can really make a DON and the others, other nurses' life easier. What makes that person so special in the building, and how can they really help during the times that they're in? Well, the first thing I want to correct you on is that they're not worth their weight in gold. They're worth their weight in platinum. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. That's fair. Okay. Let's start with that. The second thing is they are a true integrated professional service truly integrated into the fiscal, operational, and clinical management of the unit by being responsible for data collection into the database that has such a great influence on everything. And also having the influence, remember, every MDS manager has to be a good teacher. They are teaching every day they work with a new employee. They're teaching with members of the IDT. They're teaching with elders sometimes and families. And so those are very important skills. And then they have to be technical experts of the system. And TJ, you and I, John, we all know that that has been a part of the mission of my professional career is to helping these nurses convert into having this technical, very specific regulated information that doesn't connect to training as an RN or a BSN or an LPN. It's different and unique. So those are the qualities, and it does include some direct care, but it doesn't include a lot of consistent direct care. And that's where we have trouble when we try to transplant nurses backwards. It'd be like asking the DON who had never been an MDS nurse to fill out an MDS. Mm -hmm. Right. You can look at the reverse. Absolutely. Well, I know you work with a lot of the state MDS groups, 
Leah, I'm just curious, you know, in that realm of where we're at and during the times that we're in, what are the MDS folks saying about the industry and the issues and how we can uh, all work together to improve? Well, I had a wonderful meeting just a few weeks ago with a relatively uh, representative group of MDS nurses at the uh, PANAC meeting, the Pennsylvania Association of Nurse Assessment Coordinators, which is a very old organization. It's been established for a long time and has a lot of very seasoned, um, we had six nurses there at the meeting who have more than 25 years experience in doing MDSs. So it's a very diverse group, but yet with a really good foundation. And I asked them to give me information about what the operational issues are that they run into that are difficult, and also what their suggestions are for their organizations to help them. And they all talked about the fatigue, how stressful it is to be working on the unit when when you haven't done it for a long time. And you may not know all of those elders really well, like if you're doing the high acuity MDSs for Part A Medicare's and the managed cares, and then you're working the long-term care unit, and so you're, you know, the, the transplantation in the responsibilities in the building, you don't casually know maybe a lot of these elders. And so it's a very, very they talked about the stress that they feel. TJ, getting over to the pharmacy side, they haven't passed meds for maybe a couple of years or may have never passed meds in that building with an electronic system. And so to walk in and all of a sudden have that responsibility, it is exhausting. And so they talked a lot about being stressed and exhausted. And then everybody else is tired. All the nurses are tired today. And so, you know, you don't want to belabor the point. You want to try to get the work done, but you carry the burden of that stress and that anxiety when you go home. The other thing is that they were, in many instances, they weren't asked what would be maybe the best time for them to work, or, you know, they just get assigned. And that's very difficult as well, because then their personal life and everything else is in an uproar. And I don't think the facilities do that by design. They're just the managers, your nursing managers are under stress and they want to cover the shift. And so they go down the list and they see who can cover the shift. Now, the one thing they did, we did talk about a lot was that they want to be part of the solution. It isn't that they don't want to do this, but their reaction was very, very sincere. But some of those barriers, I think, are things that, that operations needs to take a look at and maybe offer them some training with like the medication pass process or where things are stored. The practical things of providing care, how you actually work. It'd be like one of you having to work in somebody else's office and you don't know where anything is. And you'd think the nurses would know, but our buildings are very sophisticated. The acuity is very high. And we're dealing with a level of care that is very demanding as far as professional services are concerned. 
So, Leah, you talked about the, the stress and the fatigue that accompanies these MDS folks that are being tasked with additional duties, and it's it's a, a bit of a catch-22 sometimes. You know, you mentioned that training would help. What, what are some of the other things that operators can do to maybe help relieve the stress and the fatigue that the uh, MDS folks are dealing with? I was a little bit surprised when I got a lot of these comments back because I asked them to actually write the comments and then all of a sudden I got this enormous pile of paper. I didn't, it, it was a true indication that they wanted to communicate. And one of the things they talked about is they want to have an opportunity to ask questions and to be part of the decision-making process. If they want to have them do both roles, then let's talk about it and not just give them an assignment and, ex and they'll show up, but expect them to be able to function without some preliminary information or some quick and easy directions on the unit, like with the medication pass process, you know, like a cheat sheet or something like that. Um, they were very practical and um, they weren't talking about, I don't want to do this. They were talking about how they could communicate. The other thing is to be part of some strategic conversations with the DON, maybe with the administrator, about how they want to manage co the coverage and give them a chance to at least express themselves about what, you know, uh, John, you and I have mm -hmm. talked about this before. Everybody can't work the night shift <laughs> because some people are incapable of being up all night and, you know, their circadian rhythms just don't match with it. <laughs> Other people get up early in the morning and the day shift is just perfect, you know, for them. And they find that some of these assignments miss their, um, their best performance times. Mm -hmm. And they feel very badly about that. And so they want enhanced communication about this. And I also think that let's look at the reverse. We're having trouble or our MDS manager left the building. So I'm going to call one of my clinical managers from my high acuity unit, and I'm going to put he or she into the MDS job for two weeks. What what would happen with the reverse? Mm. <laughs> it's, it's, we have to look at it on both sides. Absolutely. So, it's so true. I'm sorry. Go ahead, TJ. What I was going to ask, Leah, you've had an outstanding career. Would you recommend MDS for a nurse that's up and coming? And why would you say someone should follow in your footsteps? Well, some of our youngest nurses who are coming out have tremendous capability to understand information systems. They understand the process of data collection. And we just have to customize their vocabulary and their knowledge base. And some of them are naturals and they do an excellent job. We have a lot of nurses that have direct care experience and have a lot of understanding of geriatrics and how we evaluate and document. And they move into the MDS job. And as long as they have good foundational training and an understanding of this highly regulated data process, you know, nurses are used to having a lot of flexibility. And in the MDS process, we don't have a lot of flexibility. So, yes, I do recommend it. And I meet nurses all the time. I was just back from uh, Oklahoma and I met a couple of uh, nurses out there that were in my session who were relatively new 
uh, MDS nurses, and they were really enjoying it. Mm -hmm. They took over for MDS people who retired, who were organized and had the system well tooled. Mm -hmm. And so they just, they had some, you know, they had questions. They had to learn a lot. The learning curve in moving from clinical nursing to MDS is like Mount Everest mm -hmm. um, at the beginning. Because just look at the manual. Mm -hmm. I mean, you have a manual that is, you know, is three and a half inches, four inches thick. But a lot of nurses really enjoy that. Mm -hmm. The issue is that when that, when stress and fatigue come into that practice area, they need to be able to talk to someone and understand what they need to do. And that communication needs to be facilitated between operations, clinical management, and then, of course, finance, eventually finance when they get to the next level. Very good. Leah, great, great stuff. And unfortunately, we, we could probably talk all day, but we're just about out of time. Is there any advice or anything else you'd like to add before we sign off? I think for operational people, I think I would, if you have a staffing crisis and you are going to ask your nurses to cross roles, give them the chance to communicate and, and, and give them a direction of what you want them to do that's very specific. I don't know that I would recommend that you take an MDS manager who hasn't worked the unit for five years and put them in charge of your building for the whole weekend and do all the problem solving and everything else. You need to communicate back and forth and see what their comfort level is and also how confident they feel about doing this. It used to be back in the early days, a nurse is a nurse is a nurse. The skill set was very, very consistent. And then they modified what they did. Today, we have enormous diversity in the skill sets of our nurses and sometimes exchanging very different responsibilities causes a significant problem. Well said. TJ, anything else you'd like to add? It's just a, a pleasure uh, to, to be with you again, Leah, and appreciate all that you've done and all the training and, and um, insight that you provide. It's been, been fabulous today. Thanks so much. You're welcome. Thank you for letting me share these ideas. And we're, we're going to work through it. We're working through it in a lot of platforms, and there are solutions. They're just mm -hmm. a little more complicated than some people thought they would be. Indeed. Leah, thank you so much for joining us today. It's, it's really been a pleasure. Well, folks, we hope you can uh, join us next time. We'll be joined by uh, Bob Kramer, or Robert Kramer, as some of you may know him, who is the founder and strategic advisor at the National Investment Center for Seniors Housing and Care, NIC. He is also the president of Nexus Insights, an advisory group that helps clients to redefine aging and rethink aging services. He is broadly recognized as one of senior living's most influential and high-profile thought leaders and connectors. Uh, TJ, do you think we can maybe get Bob to come out of his shell and perhaps share a thought or two? <laughs> much like Leah, I don't think that's going to be very difficult because they both have so much to so much to give. So <laughs> nice. Amen. Amen. Well, finally, um, special thanks to Far America, whose generous support made this presentation possible. To learn more about ways Pharmerica can deliver world-class pharmacy services to your organization, we invite you to visit them online at Pharmerica.com. Along with TJ Griffin, this is John O'Connor wishing you health and happiness. See you next time. Take care, guys. Bye.